What's up? My name is Josh, and thanks for checking out the GT Young Adults Podcast. We're a community from GT Church in Victoria, BC. We love Jesus, and we have a passion to learn, grow, and live like Him and have a ton of fun doing it. All the messages and conversations you'll find here will point you to His truth and His hope. So lean in to whatever God wants to speak to you today. Enjoy, and thanks for listening. The goal of this series, like I said last week, as we just kicked it off, the goal of this series is really to present and give you what I believe are like foundational, concrete, guiding principles for your faith. Really like principles that help you in, 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 like I said already, this cultural moment in society and culture right now. Because I understand there's this tension of like, I want to follow Jesus with all of my heart and I also don't want my friends to hate me. Like, how do I live in a time that feels so divisive following Jesus and even saying I follow Jesus feels divisive? How, like, what has he got for me? What is his message? I feel like even just understanding him can be difficult and often feels unclear. And so we tried to break down really what Jesus is all about. And I, I, I brought this verse to you last week, and I want to read it quick, and then we're going to kind of get back into Matthew. It says this in, in John, this is like chapter 1, verse 14. The Word became flesh, okay? This is, this is God, the, lo, the Logos, became flesh. Jesus came, became flesh, and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and the only Son who came from the Father, meaning God has come, he has dwelt with us as, as humans, as people. He came from the Father. He came full of grace and truth. And that's where this series really came from, that Jesus is full of grace. He is full of truth. And if we follow him, we'll see both of these things un unravel and really come close to our heart. And as a, as a community, we'll really begin to follow him and see him more. And so we, we talked about that. He was very clear with his message. He offered grace for all, truth for all. And last week's message was just an understanding of what grace really is. And to my heart, it felt elementary. And I was like, I hope this is ringing. And yet we saw prayer time happen. And we saw people asking questions because it feels like we have a weird idea of what grace really is. And so last week, we broke that down. Grace is this unmerited favor. It's not something we can achieve. It's a gift from God. He laid down his life for you and me. And he offers you grace if you'll just repent and you'll find rest in him. It's not this moralistic, I need, like, have to. It's this turning back to a loving father who accepts you. And so I hope you've heard that sung over you. So for the next two weeks, we want to look at grace specifically and how the culture would try and counter-disciple us, if you will. And by the way, I don't hate on all culture. This isn't me, like, we should all go live in the woods and we should all, like, that's not really my, who I am. I'm just suggesting that for a long time, it was like we were kind of trekking along as maybe as followers of Jesus. And, and the culture always had a bit of an opposition, and Jesus mentioned that all the time. And now it kind of feels like culture's coming back. It's like we haven't just hit a wall. It's like quite literally counter-discipling us. And so I want to kind of talk more about that. Tonight I really want to, I want to talk about something that God has just completely, I don't know, really challenged me in the last couple years of my life. And this is kind of how I want to break it down for you. There's going to be a graphic that pops up. I believe that we have a lack of understanding of how real our sin is. And because of that, we minimize how important it is for a savior. How important it is for a savior. So what do we do? We try and fix ourselves. And this becomes this really weird sin shame cycle. 
And you'll see it. It just kind of happens. And you, I think your graphic's going to pop up. You, like, we, we have a lack of understanding of how, how hard and heavy our sin is. We try and just forget, oh, just don't think about it, whatever. So therefore, we minimize the need for a Savior, for Jesus to do a transformative work in our life. We don't really need him because it's not that big of a deal. And then when something really heavy comes along the way, we just fix it ourselves and we move on. We just better ourselves. We just follow a Pinterest quote. We just move on. We just feel better. We move on. I do this. I do that. And then what happens? We have sin in our life. We make a mistake. We, we do something we know we shouldn't. We really, like, it battles in our heart. But we don't want to actually deal with that and repent and come to a loving father because, because shame sets in. And so we just minimize the need for a savior. And then we try and fix ourselves. And we go around and around and around. And I found myself in a cycle like this a few years ago where I wasn't actually willing to deal with the sin in my life. I was minimizing the impact of Jesus in my life and I was constantly trying to fix myself and I was one step away from burning out until finally I just felt this weight drop. God convicted me and I had to just get on my knees and, and ask for grace. Because this I feel like is a cycle we can find ourselves in. We don't deal with sin, we don't fully understand grace, we don't experience grace. And we don't deal with the consequences or we honestly, we hide it away and then there is no consequences. I remember in grade 12 bio, grade 12 bio. Anybody remember grade 12 bio? Oh dear Lord, I hope not, it's the worst. Um, I remember grade 12 bio walking into Ms. Durley's class and realizing we had a test. Like not just a test, not a quiz, a like midterm, like a last few chapters. And I could not have been more ill-prepared. Like, didn't even know the test was happening. Not like one of those tests you like peruse, not one of those tests you cram for at lunch. Like, didn't know there was an exam. And I remember going to her like, because I, you know, it's also that moment where you've, you've already entered class. Like, you, you're, you're sitting down and the teacher's like, all right, books away, everything, test time. And you're like, I can't go now. If I do, she's going to know. And so I had to just do, I just went up to her and I said, Ms. Durley, and by the way, she didn't like me very much because I goofed off a lot, as you can tell. And so I was like, I, I'm so sorry. I, I'm going to fail this exam. Is there, would, would you extend to me any sort of grace? Can I take it tomorrow? Would you let me do it on Friday for like a lesser grade, like the highest grade I can get as a B? Like, like just, you know, there's some teachers in here. You know when kids start bargaining? Like I'm bargaining. Like I have a pudding cup and a wagon wheel. Can I trade you for your tune? Like, what do you want? How can I, I got five, I have no money. I can't bribe you. And I remember her looking at me, taking a second, sighing, and looking right in my eyes and saying, absolutely not, take your seat, you know? <laughs> cool, you know? And I thought about skipping out, but then she would know, and so then I did what every grade 12 does in this moment. I go to my partner and be like, yo, can I cheat off you? Like, 100%, 100%. And so luckily, uh, my partner, her name was Jackie, we were best friends growing up, like neighbors, lived two doors down. And she's like, yeah, of course, no problem. We would always trade homework. I don't, don't judge me, whatever, I don't care. And, and so in this moment, I'm like, okay, how am I gonna do this? I just need to pass. Like, I don't actually care. It's bio, it's bio. I don't care. And so I do all the tactics. You know the tactics of cheating on exams? You know this one? Remember this one where you like put your head down here and you're looking through your arm and, she, and they lower the book? No, of course, none of you did this. You're perfect, whatever. I don't even, you know, and, and so I'm doing that and Miss Durley goes out for a second. I'm like, A, B, B, C, A, E, no way. And then you just kind of do that. The people laughing right now have cheated and the people scowling at me clearly haven't. We're talking about grace. Get the scowl off your face. It could be around. And I totally cheated on that exam. And then I remember the next week going into bio class and Ms. Durley with like a smirk on her face, by the way, was like, Lucas, come with me. And I was like, oh dear Lord. 
and walking right to the vice principal's office. Luckily, he loved me, and he told me that I got 1% on the bio 12 exam. And I was like, yo, that's not possible. And then she looks at me like, you're gonna tell me you didn't cheat? I'm like, no, I cheated, but there's no way I got nothing right. Like, that's not, you can't miss that many. No, like I was honest. I was like, no, I did, 100%. And, and then Mr. Robinson had told me that she had two exams and I had A and Jackie had B and my answers were the same. And yeah, like she played me, she played me. When I went to her, she was like, I'm gonna give you a different one, you know? Savage move, Miss Durley. Whoa, totally had me. But in this moment, I was like, there were some consequences. Like I, I had, I barely passed that class. I'd put in so much effort. Still to this day, whenever I send in anything, a transcript, I just recently tr sent in a transcript for a master's program and the only question they had for me was how come your bio 12 mark is so bad compared to everything else? No, this, is, this seriously happened on a phone call this week. And I had to go on and explain to them how I cheated like so hard on a bio 12 exam and then forever was just marked by that and a teacher who really had no more grace for me after that point. And we don't realize the consequence of our sin. We think in the moment, it's just fine, it's not a big deal. And what I'm suggesting is that sin does matter, but grace matters all the more. And if we would understand that there's a loving savior, we wouldn't be so ashamed of, of what's going on. We would understand and run to him like we sang tonight rather than run away and minimize Jesus and then try and fix ourselves and find ourselves in this nasty cycle. We need a savior. He offers love and grace and we'll just repent and come to him. He'll open his arms and he helps you and he grows, you know, helps, helps you grow and he sees you. But again, I think there's more things to blame. Like we, we don't wanna deal with it. And it also, in, in this talk of grace, please hear me, in this talk of grace, this idea of grace, I think, I think we have caught, especially in this culture right now, where we feel like we can try and fix ourselves. I've said that a couple of times. And I personally blame like Pinterest and Instagram background quotes, personally. I feel like this is just so ingrained in our brain, okay? It's so in our mind. It's so like, we can do it. I have all I need. I just did a really quick search on Instagram, okay? And this is not, hold on a second. This is not a jab. I'm not making fun if you post these things. I'm, a lot of them are actually really beneficial and positive and that's important. And so I'm just like, I'm pulling something out of the culture. I'm not trying to make fun of anyone or anything. Do you understand what I'm saying? Will you go there with me? Will you be gracious? Can you put up some of these? This is just, all I searched was self-help, I think in self-forgiveness. So these are just four things I found on self-help and self-forgiveness. Forgive yourself when you have bad days, let negativity take over, make a mistake, say the wrong thing. And I think like, that sounds really, really good. Like initially looking at that, I think, yeah, of course, forgive yourself. But I'm thinking, I, I don't actually have the ability to forgive myself. I can be gentle with myself. I can be mindful that I don't have to be so hard on myself, but the actual power to say, hey, that, that thing you did, that thing you did against your wife, whatever it is, there is some healing that needs to take place that's bigger and more powerful than just my ability to say, don't think about it anymore. Are you following me? This idea like, you are stronger than you realize. Again, beneficial, positive affirmation, trying to help you see like there is something, like you can do it, get through the day, like you're not, and sometimes we have a really poor perspective of ourselves. But can I tell you something as well? I have to understand I am not as strong as I think I am. Paul literally says, and we're gonna read it in a little bit, like in my weakness, he is made strong. 
And so I think sometimes we just have the culture is saying things and we think it's positive and it's affirming us when in fact it's getting us further away from the Savior. If you change the way you look at all things, the things you look at change. Yeah, whatever, Wayne. Like, I don't know if that always is the case. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm not sure that always fits. If you just change the way you think, all the things you look at will change. No, it won't. Like, in the deepest, darkest, most hurtful moments, it doesn't just click like that. Sometimes we actually need the Holy Spirit to do something that looks and is a miracle. You can take them down. Like, we don't have to go through them, and I'm not trying to bash this or that. I'm just suggesting to be careful and mindful and watch it, because honestly, I think we're in this pattern where we're saving ourselves, or we think we are. I'm not saying you can't work through issues. I'm not saying you're not awesome, smart, gifted individuals by God. The word says that that you are a masterpiece, that he has created you to do good works in advance. I believe that with all of my heart. So don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm suggesting that sometimes the culture will try and make it sound like it's all on you. And I think we look at things like, you are strong enough, you can do it, you, you are seen it, and yet we're lonely. Yet this generation is more depressed than ever. Yet like the drug overdose crisis is constant mental health and and we think that these things are going to save and solve the problems they're not jesus really is going to help us and save us he is full of grace full of truth are you following me tonight i hope you hear my heart it's not to make fun of anything you've ever posted is to help all of us realize myself included me first that i need jesus more than i realize so if you have a bible go to matthew 4 because that's where we're going to be tonight We're gonna look at uh, um, something that's probably preached a lot, something that you've probably gone through a lot, but we're just kind of, like I said, we're trucking through through Matthew, and we find this moment where where Jesus is having, this is really truly before he begins his ministry. And so he's been baptized, like John the Baptist has kind of prepared the way he's been baptized, and yet still before he goes and preaches and does his ministry, something needs to take place. Matthew 4, starting in verse one, it says this. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, to be tempted by the devil. Stop for a second. What? <laughs> if you're like new to faith, if you're like really excited to get this Jesus thing, you'd read that and be like, I'm good, I'm okay. Like that doesn't sound like exciting ministry. Like, woohoo, what's my first step? You're gonna be go to the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. I'm okay, bye-bye now. And I think this is a moment where, where it would be really easy to be like, no thank you, try and solve. No thank you, I don't need anything. The English language doesn't do the Bible justice all the time. And so often we see the word temptations of Jesus. Truthfully, it's better translated testing. Testing. Um, temptation, friends, is not sin. I need you to hear this. Jesus was tempted. He did not sin. Temptation will try and lead you into that place. But just because you're being tempted does not mean that, that, that you are sinning by any means. In a more theological sense, what's important to get here is, like I said, Jesus was baptized. He, was, he himself was tempted so that he becomes all the more relatable to you and me. Like, that's the, that's the beautiful thing about Jesus, isn't it? That Jesus can identify with your sin, with your pain, with your hurt, because he has also faced pain and, and all these things and hurt and temptation. Like, he has seen it. He's dealt with it. It's come face to face with him. The Holy Spirit led him to the desert. Yes. Is he leading me? If you listen and follow, yes. Will he lead me to something hard? Yeah, sometimes he will. But please hear this. He won't lead you where he won't go with you. Young adults, please hear this. You aren't alone. No matter what everything else looks like, you aren't alone. That he does see you, he goes with you. That we have the Holy Spirit with us. 
And I need you to know that he won't lead you where he won't go with you. He's not gonna take you to a place, drop you and say, bye-bye. He did that with Jesus on the cross so that you would never have to. And he will go with you wherever he leads you. So follow him. He's not gonna lead you alone. And that, friends, is grace. That's grace. That he leads you into a place that may feel challenging, that may feel difficult. He doesn't promise that everything is gonna work out perfectly, but he does promise that he will never leave you nor forsake you. That's the grace of Jesus. Let's keep reading Matthew 2. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone done 40 days, 40 nights? Yeah. Like that's, mm mm-hmm. Give me some food. The tempter came and said to him, if you're the son of God, or actually again, better translated, since you are the son of God in the Greek, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So we find, Jesus is now in this moment where he is before his ministry being tempted and tested by Satan, by the enemy, okay? And I don't have enough time to break down any sort of theology there, but like this is his moment where he's being tested before he really begins his ministry. And I want you to see something here, that grace doesn't just become forgiveness, but grace actually becomes the fuel that he needs. That grace is not just about forgiveness, it's also the fuel, it's the empowerment, it's what we as Christians live out of, that there is a grace that has no amount of measure, that has no amount of like, oh, only so, so much, like this is what I'm talking about, it's not just about forgiveness, it's empowerment, it's fuel, it's sustenance, and he's clinging onto it as he's hungry and desperate and being tested and tempted by the enemy. It's important to understand some depth here. Jesus was not just hungry. Like he was hungry to the point of starvation, the Bible says. That he was about, like his body was breaking down. Like he was frail. Like he was about to give out the Greek mentions. The wilderness, it's not just like, this isn't like an oasis where he can just go and pick an apple if he needs to. Like this is modern day Jordan. This is the desolation, like dirt, rock, hard, heavy, not a place, like hot, so hot, guys, so, so hot. Like this is a hard spot to be in. He's hungry. Bread was like the lifeline of the Jewish people. This carried a historical significance. It carried the Israelites on. It was significant for, for Elijah. Like there is, there is spiritual historical significance when the enemy specifically says bread. I know you thought bread, you were thinking a nice sourdough. How many people during COVID learned how to do a sourdough? Good for you, I don't care. Um, I, I'm just kidding, I just wanted to, and it never happened for me, I'm just jealous of you, that's really what it is. I'm more like a focaccia guy, or a, what's it, it's not actually focaccia, what's it called? Is it called focaccia? You ever meet those people who are like, it's not focaccia, it's focaccia. You're like, okay, like, thank you, goodbye now. I'm just gonna buy a croissant, and you just like enunciate hard on the other one. This is, this is like a big deal, and I can just picture Jesus like, swallowing, being hungry, but replying. Man shall not live in bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Friends, just as an aside, like any word of God has more sustenance than any amount of food. And it sounds really spiritual and really practical, but I would challenge you even this week, maybe fast, just breakfast and lunch, cling on to the word of God and begin to see him reveal to you his goodness. Let the word of God speak to you as you maybe fast and, and watch how this becomes all more powerful than any quick stop here or lunch that you could make. 
It's really important. Remember, grace isn't just forgiveness, it's fuel. And it fuels Jesus here because this sin really isn't about eating. It's not necessarily about food. It's about instant gratification. And I think it's important that we see this, that, that as us in a culture, like so often when things aren't working, we just fix it, right? I'm hungry, so I go get something. I need food, where should we go? Go to their spot, whatever your spot is. What's your spot? I, I just wish we had better spots. Me and Trina always complain about how bad the fast food spots are in, in Victoria. It's terrible. We have 17,000 McDonald's and like a Wendy's in the worst spot ever. Like we got nothing, do we? We really don't. Like Subway, who, I don't eat, who eats Subway anymore? You can't take a five-year-old to Subway. They're like, what's this? What's this? Can I just, you know, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. I wish we had, like, it's just not. And this isn't about food, though. It's actually really about gratification and just always being able to quickly fix our problems. Wi-Fi and just having it figured it out. And instant gram and Netflix and drive through and even success. Like viral video and just boom, it's there. And now pff, all this stuff. I don't think the best things in life happen fast. Like long-term sustainability doesn't happen overnight. I don't know why we make such quick decisions on like lifelong directional things. We make quick decisions, instant gratification moments for long-term direction and questions and thoughts on life. And I wanna just challenge that. I've said that a lot already at this service that that instant gratification is like the worst lie that we, this generation has ever believed. And I just wonder if we would fight that a little bit more with the grace that God gives us to understand there's something greater down the road. Verse five, then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, or again, since you are the son of God, remember the enemy is saying this. He said, throw yourself down for it is written. Are you ready for this? Satan's gonna use the Bible on Jesus. Are you ready for this? It's about to be a showdown. Let's go. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus isn't, just isn't having it. I love this. It is also written, do you not put the Lord your God to the test? Period. Like doesn't, doesn't, oh, interesting. Can you just picture this battle for a moment? Oh, really? I raise you a Deuteronomy on your Psalm 91. Like, I don't know how it went down, but I picture some really fun moments where enemies like flexes a bit and he's like, Psalm, really? Let me quote you some Torah. Boom. Like Deuteronomy 6. Boom. And all the, all the disciples are like, Boo! you know, that moment when they're all like, that's what I picture. I just think it's interesting that he tries to use scripture and he kind of messes it up. It's not hundred percent accurate. And He's actually referencing the Messiah, which is Jesus. He's like, Can you just quote me to me? Like, I don't, I don't know. It's just kind of a funny interaction. I've never been able to fully, I think, process it. It just makes me laugh, to be honest. But this, again, it's not about necessarily about flying or anything like that. It's, 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 it's interesting at this time, many people would come into the picture and proclaim that they were a Messiah. Many people would come and say, I have all the answers. And it would often look like a magic trick and they'd try and do something elaborate and they'd try and show off to a big amount of people. And again, culturally, I think this is very, very irrelevant. We're constantly being told that, there's, that we, we have all the answers we need and everything you need is right in front of you. It's all gonna be okay. Let me just say this. The devil is trying to make Jesus perform something, look sensational. He's trying to make the, Jesus really be like, hey, everyone, Look at me, attention over here. I need your eyes for a moment. Jesus was not politically motivated or outspoken. He was not loud and obnoxious. He, he, rarely, he, didn't, he wasn't fast paced. 
he walked from town to town, taking his time, resting and being like fed good meals with friends and family. Like he was not like this. And the enemy is trying to get him to do something that is unlike his mission, his mandate, his character. This is all about attention. Look at me. I'm the most important. Look what I can do. Like, and our culture is so steeped in this. You are the most important thing. Only take care of you. Doesn't matter about anything else. Look busy. Feel busy. Like, make sure you get noticed. What are you doing? Even the question, like, what are you doing after high school? It's like, I don't flip and know. Stop making, I'm not sure. It's always like this, pop culture, celebrity culture, becoming famous. I'll never forget at youth ministry, I don't know, a few years back, I had never heard anyone say it so boldly and proudly and firmly. I was like, hey, what are you thinking about in the next few years? And I remember him so clearly coming to me and saying, I'm gonna get famous on YouTube. Some of you laughed and then you're like, oh, he's serious. <laughs> like he was just like, oh, you're gonna... Like, I didn't understand it yet. This is like four or five years ago. And, he, and, and this person was just like, yeah, I just, I really want to be famous, specifically on YouTube. I'm like, why specifically YouTube? I didn't understand. Like, it was just, I'm not making fun. I'm actually like, what? I didn't, I didn't quite understand the heart. But truthfully, like, I feel like there is a bit of an attention seeker in all of us. A bit of like a, mm, I need this. George and Bo are constantly, it's like, dad, dad, look at me, dad, check me out, dad. Like we, we deep down have this deep-seated need for affirmation, love, acceptance, grace, and yet we're looking everywhere else for it. The more we make our life about us, I feel like the less we see the need for Jesus. You know, it's, I find this so interesting. Like Jesus wants to be your safe place, your motivation, your grounding, your foundation, Jesus made his whole life about you. He sacrificed everything for you. And yet we're constantly trying to make our life all about us. And it like kind of like, when I hear that, when I say that, when I wrote that in my notes, I was, I felt convicted. He made his whole mission about you. This is grace. He made his whole mission about you and me. He gave up everything. Although he was God, he did not consider himself God. We talked about in the, in, the, in the section of Philippians we went through, like, this is Jesus. And he, he's looking at you, he's looking at me, and he's saying, I, I lay down everything. And what do we do? Thanks, Jesus. And we just kind of like, okay, bye. Thanks for that. No, we're missing it. Life isn't all about us. Man, as Christians, it's our duty to continue to move forward and say, how do I make him famous? How do I glorify God with everything that I am? How do I make sure that he knows I love him and I'm for him and I'm thankful for this grace? It's by like, loving him and serving him and praising him with everything we have. Finally, it says this, the last few verses, excuse me, verse eight. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. This one's a little bit more obvious maybe than the others. This, this what he's trying to kind of tempt him into. He's tempting him into, again, he was trying to tempt him into um, instant gratification. He's trying to tempt him into attention seeking. And here he's trying to tempt him into idolatry. He's really just like trying to make him this like 
he's trying to let Jesus see all the power and authority that he could have. And Jesus is like, I'm not, saying I was here at the start of all of this. Like you continue to make you think it's about power and control and authority and it's not gonna work. And we often are the same way. It's when we literally are so infatuated with something that we begin to idolize something. We're so enamored and awestruck that we formulate a godlike essence of something and we, without even knowing it, friends, we begin to worship it. This happens. It could be money, could be sex, could be people, could be an idea. Anything really becomes an idol. Really interesting book, God's at War by Kyle Edelman. He talks about how all sin really is just idolatry. That's it. That's all it is. And the de- devil tempted with power and splendor and again, control and all these pieces. And Jesus' response is, no, 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 no. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Underline that in your Bible. Worship him only. Like there is no room for anything else. And friends, you don't need anything else because God's grace is enough for you. I think again, we, we kind of get into this place where we feel like I just, it's not enough. It's not gonna work. I don't know if he knows me well enough. He loves you. His grace is enough for you. He died on the cross for you. He said, I see that sin. I'm going to take that. I'm going to take it all on so that you would know how deeply I care for you. And this is, this is so frustrating, I think, even for myself. Like, again, I'm, I'm thinking internally here. And I want to get past this idea that, like, I can fix it. There's other things I, that can fix it. I just need Jesus. Are you following me tonight? This is it. I want you to see the link. And, 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 and Robbie, you can come up and join me. I want you to see the link between the temptation, specific, especially idolatry, and the idea that we kind of minimize sin and we don't need God as we wrap up here. I think one of the best books I've ever read actually is Counterfeit Gods by Timothy Keller. I would suggest every single person in this room, I think I I recommend it more than any other book, Counterfeit Gods by Timothy Keller. There's a few quotes that I've kind of compiled here, but I really want to read these out to you. I think it'll kind of begin, you'll begin to see why, why grace is the fuel and the empowerment we need in places of temptation. And how when we go into tomorrow, tonight even, we're faced with stuff all the time with things that, 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 that we would idolize. We're faced with things that would say, put me first. We're faced with things that just instantly gratify us. And, and Jesus is saying to you, he's saying to me, listen, you don't need all that. Cling to my grace. It is enough for you. Tim Keller says this, when people say, I know God forgives me, please hear this. Please make a note here, you guys. Lean in for a moment. When people say, I know God forgives me, but I can't forgive myself. They mean that they failed an idol whose approval has become more important than God's. Fear-based repentance makes us hate ourselves while joy-based repentance makes us hate the sin. If you want God's grace, all you need is need. Are you hearing me tonight? Are Are you seeing this and how important this is? That forgiving ourself really is just it means we failed an idol and God's saying, no, 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 no. You haven't failed me. You're not too far gone from me. You don't need anything for my grace. You just need to need. And Jesus understood that. He was in a place of need. He was tired and hungry and thirsty. He probably needed, needed a lot of things in that moment. Food, bread, water, company. 
yet all he stood on was the grace of God and the word of God. I don't know what you're dealing with. I really don't. But I truly believe it's not more of you or not more of the, the solutions out there. It's more of Jesus. Sin's gonna try and hold you back. It'll shame you. It'll make you not wanna deal and confront with your sin, whether you've fallen into it or it's been tempted at a time of discouragement, whatever it is, remember this, please, that Jesus fought his battle with everything you have, the word of God, and he did it out of a place of weakness, just like us. God's grace is enough for you. So what do we do, guys? What do we do when we know what sin is? Talked about it a lot. Versus what we know what is right. What we should do, what we shouldn't do, like when, when our heart and our mind are, are at odds with each other, when you're trying to do everything you can, you're trying to live pure at heart, you're trying to, to, to do well by God, and yet your heart doesn't feel remorse, it doesn't feel that regret, that tension when you sin, because your heart and mind are not, not coming together. What do we do when we feel constantly at odds with like how to live, where to go? Is this grace truly going to be enough for what I am going through? As I was reading different verses this week and Trina was reminding me of a verse and I read the verse of the day and I just kept seeing this pattern. It was, come to me, right? Over and over in the scriptures. Come to me, all, the, all who are thirsty, Isaiah 55. Come to me, who are heavy burdened, in Matthew later. Come to me, even the children, the kingdom belongs to you. Knock and the door will be open to you. Come near to me and I'll come near to you, the book of James says. Stop running from the grace and start running to the Father. Sit. Sit under this, as one preacher I know says it all the time, the waterfall of grace. Yeah, but I can't. I'm not enough. That's what I'm saying tonight, that we don't have all that we need. We need a savior. Yeah, but I, if I could just do it, on, stop it. Stop trying to fix it on your own. Try, stop trying to fix that relationship all by yourself. Stop trying to break that addiction in your own power. Stop trying to just say, I, everything I need, I have in here. No, no, we need Jesus. This is grace and truth. This is what I'm talking about. We've gone far too long in a culture that is saying you have everything you need when in fact we're feeling lonely, we're feeling heavy, and I'm telling you, we need the grace of God. It's the fuel and empowerment we need. And I don't, I don't, I don't know, I'm just tired of saying anything different. I'm tired of pretending it's anything else. And so here's what I wanna do is, would you stand with me here? And I just wanna read to you a verse. I want you to like, yeah, you can stand and I just want you to open your heart and your mind to receive that the worship team's coming. We're gonna sing one more song. I just want, man, I just want you so bad to see how badly you need Jesus and how much he loves you, how much he cares for you, how, how much grace there really is for you. It's my heart that you would hear that today that you wouldn't feel discouraged, that you would feel like there is a supply of grace that you did not know existed. That if you felt yourself caught in sin again and again, that now is the time to come to him. And so would you, if you wouldn't mind, if you would indulge me for a moment as we close, I know we've been a little bit later tonight, just close your eyes and I'm just gonna read to you scripture. I'm not gonna pray tonight because I don't have the words, honestly. 
And Jesus used scripture again and again and again. And so I wanna use more scripture tonight to hopefully encourage you and uplift you. This is Paul in his weakest moment, in his heaviest moment, in his hardest moment. And I'm reading it in a paraphrase in a commentary version. It's all across this room with our eyes closed and just our heart attentive. Paul says this, I was given the gift of a handicap to keep me in constant touch with my limitations. This is Paul saying, the enemy's angel did his best to get me down. What he did in fact was push me to my knees. At first, I, I didn't think of it as a gift and begged God to remove it. Three times I asked God to remove it. And then he said these words to me, my grace is enough. It's all you need. That's when my strength comes in, into its own, in your weakness. Once I heard that, this is Paul saying, I was glad to let it happen. I quit focusing on my handicap and I began appreciating this gift. It was a case of Christ's strength moving in on my weakness. Now I take limitations in stride and with good cheer, these limitations that cut me down to size, abuse, accents, opposition, bad breaks, I just let Christ take over. And so the weaker I get, the stronger I become. Jesus, tonight, we submit to you that we do not have all that it takes, that we need your grace, that culture would try and say that we, we have all we need, we don't need to think about any of these things, God, we can just move it along, we can push it aside, but in fact, God, we really need you tonight. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would move in hearts, that every person here would have a great understanding that it's you they need and not anything else. Jesus, I pray that the grace that only comes from you would fall in hearts, would transform our entire motivation, God, that we would know that you deeply love us, that you deeply care for us, that there is a grace so deep, so wide, God, an ocean of it, that it is so large that there is no sin and nothing that can hold us back from you. So tonight, Jesus, we submit. Yeah, we don't have it all, Lord, but you do, and your grace is enough. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Let's sing one more time together.